to bring us up to speed. We've had some time away from the book of Daniel. And so here we are in Daniel chapter 4. We have two more weeks after this week, 5 and 6. And this is the last week that we're going to look at King Nebuchadnezzar in this text. And this text uh, is so important for the life of us, but also the life of King Nebuchadnezzar. If you remember, the book of Daniel is all about the people of God being brought into exile because of their disobedience. Right? So because of their disobedience, God sends them into exile so that they will repent of their sins to be sent back out to be the people of God. And then we saw in chapter 1 that God chose these four men out of all of the people of God, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to have favor on them in the court's uh, kingdom, if you will, in the court's uh, uh, courtyard, if you will. And so God granted them favor, and we saw and we see the faithfulness of Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego. We see their faithfulness to God. We see their faithfulness to their values, and we see faithfulness uh, to their own faith. They held strong to those things. Remember, and, and throughout the first three chapters, we see over and over again God's people being put to the test. And yet over and over again, we see God's faithfulness to them, and yet their obedience and their faithfulness back to God. Not only do we see that, but we see uh, the pride of King Nebuchadnezzar. If you look back in chapter 1, remember in chapter 1, uh, Daniel's taken in to exile, and we see, uh, we see the king try to doctrinate uh, the people of God. In chapter 2, you know, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And so the faithfulness of Daniel says to the king, hey, it's because of your pride, your pride's going to be your downfall. And then in chapter 3, remember that he builds this huge idol for all the people to worship. And we see the faithfulness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they say to King Nebuchadnezzar, hey, whatever way it's going to be, if we live or if we die, we're going to praise and we're going to worship God. It doesn't matter which way it happens. We see the pride of King Nebuchadnezzar. We see that his pride says, hey, you don't worship me, you get tossed into the furnace. And then in chapter 3, at the end of chapter 3, we see that King Nebuchadnezzar has an awakening to his mind, at least to that there is a God that's holy and right and just. Right? And he says, hey, I thought we put three people in there, but I see a fourth person in there. And he brings those three men out and he has this proclamation about who God is. And it was only head knowledge. And for me, as I've been studying this passage and studying this book, how often am I more like King Nebuchadnezzar than I am like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? If I'm honest. Like that I have all this knowledge of who God is. But if you were to pry into my heart, there's often times I'm more like King Nebuchadnezzar than I am Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so here in chapter 4, just, just a few uh, years after this event, we see that King Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. That he has this other dream that needs to be interpreted. And so we'll look at a few things. We'll look at, uh, if you will, this is King Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. It's from start to finish. So King Nebuchadnezzar is going to start this way in verses 1 through 3. Uh, guys with the slides, I'll be off. So don't even worry about trying to keep up with those today, Brett. So uh, you might just want to put a black screen up there. You will get frustrated and these people will get frustrated. So I'm just forewarning you. 
he says this, King Nebuchadnezzar says this, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all the people, nations, and languages, remember that sentence, that sentence comes out of chapter 3, where he says to all the people, and all the nations, and all the languages bow down, and now King Nebuchadnezzar makes this other declaration to all the people that dwell in the, the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders of the Most High God and what He has done for me. Verse 3, how great are His signs, how mighty is His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. But we're going to see in this verse, in this chapter, the pride of King Nebuchadnezzar. And what we're going to look at this morning is that God chooses to do one or two things in all of us. We will either humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, which we looked at in 1 Peter a few months ago, or God, through His mighty hand, will bring us to humiliation. That's the choice for all of us in this room this morning. God will do one of two things. We, through His sovereignty, will humble ourselves because we see that God is holy, 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 or God in His sovereignty will bring us to humiliation. And I promise you this, church you want to humble yourselves you do not want god to bring you to humiliation i promise that as a man that god had to bring to humiliation we want to choose the first rather than the latter and god had given king nebuchadnezzar this option hey king hey king i've shown you over this span of these men being in your court that hey there is a mighty god And God continued to trace King Nebuchadnezzar, even when he didn't want to be chased. Over and over and over and over again, God brought these four men into the kingdom for King Nebuchadnezzar. God allowed Daniel to interpret the the, the dream for King Nebuchadnezzar. God allowed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be set into the furnace for King Nebuchadnezzar. So that King Nebuchadnezzar could see one thing. It's what we've been talking about the whole time of this book so that king nebuchadnezzar would see the sovereignty of god that god is sovereign over all things and every story in this book point to that again it points to that here in chapter four and so here it is king nebuchadnezzar he he's here and he says hey this is my life this is my life story let me tell you my life story we'll pick up in chapter four it said i King Nebuchadnezzar, this is the only chapter in the Bible that's written by a pagan. The only chapter in all of the Bible that's written by a wicked pagan before he comes to know God. So it's important. He said, I, the king, I'm writing this. I was at ease in my house and was prospering in my palace. So here's King Nebuchadnezzar. Man, he had it all. He's the most powerful man in the world at this moment. He says, it's easy for me, and it's so easy that I'm prospering. And yet it says this, and I saw a dream that made me afraid. And we're going to talk about the dream. You see, it's not the dream that made him afraid. Because the dream talks about, hey, there's this tree in the middle of the land, and this tree is huge, and it's prosperous, and animals come and find shade, and animals come and find food. And so that's not the part of the dream that's scary. Like, we've all had crazy dreams, right? Okay, I guess I'm the only one that's had crazy dreams. But I've had crazy dreams. I don't wake up scared of the dreams. 
What scared King Nebuchadnezzar about this dream was the reality that he knew it to be true because he moments before had a dream that came true. And so he says, I was deeply troubled by this dream. That all of a sudden this dream, I see this huge tree and this tree's going to get chopped down. And so what does he do? He has this dream and it sounds like chapter 2. Uh, the, the king is dreaming again in chapter 2. You remember he, in, he calls all the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers to come and interpret it again. And here in verse 7, he calls all those men again to interpret their dream. And what happens? They can't interpret their dream again. And yet it says this. No one could interpret their dream. Verse 8. At last, Daniel came in before me. You would have thought that King Nebuchadnezzar would have gone right back to the source that interpreted his dream the first time. That tells you how prideful this man was. That he knew that he even says it in this passage. That Daniel was a mighty man of God. He had the wisdom and the spirit of the gods. He knew Daniel was set apart. And yet, who did he go to? Not God and God's people. He went to his and his people to interpret the dream. He was named Belshazzar after the, the name of my God. And whom the spirit of the holy, who had the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream. O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know the spirits of the holy God is in you. And that there's no mystery that is too difficult for you. Tell me the vision of the dream. I want to talk just for a moment this morning about Daniel. It's amazing to me that in the moment of this crisis, when Daniel enters the room, the king notices something different about Daniel. He notices that God is with him, is in essence what King Nebuchadnezzar says, he says to Daniel, I know that you have the spirit of the holy God. And I wonder for us, church, do we live our lives in such a way that an outside world would say that to you and me? Do we live our lives day in and day out in front of a lost world that a lost world would say to us, hey, there's something different about you. That's what King Nebuchadnezzar was saying about Daniel. He didn't say to Daniel, hey, you are wise because of your interpretation. You're smart because of this. You have this or you have this. No, he simply said, hey, there's the spirit of the living God in you. Now, I could do a whole sermon just on that. Is the spirit of the living God in you and does the spirit of the living God come out of you to be known to our community? I wonder, for us, are we like that? You see, God has called us to be what? He tells us this through Paul and for 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are to be ambassadors for Christ. You see, Daniel was put in the king's court, not for Daniel, and not for the people of God, but for God himself to be what? An ambassador of God to a lost pagan king. And what was the message? The message has never changed. The message is this. He says, therefore, you are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, the ambassador, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Daniel was put in the courtyard to be an ambassador for Christ, to have a wicked king come back to repentance to a holy God. And I wonder for us, church, do we see ourselves the way Daniel saw himself, an ambassador for Christ Jesus wherever we go? 
at Publix, at school, at our work, in our home, uh, with our families? Are we an ambassador for Christ? Here's the other thing that we see about Daniel. Daniel, even though it says this, he goes on and he talks to the king and the king says to him and talks to him and tells him the whole dream. And then in verse 19, it says this. And then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while. And his thoughts alarmed him. You see, again, here's Daniel in front of the king. The king says, hey, tell me this dream. And Daniel hears the dream, and he knows the dream to be true. He knows the dream is going to come to fruition because he believes and trusts in a sovereign God who just a few chapters before saw that this king was going to be humiliated under the hand of God. And again, Daniel sees the same dream in essence. And Daniel is troubled in his heart. He's dismayed. He's afraid. And yet, even in his fear, what does Daniel do? It says to him, and the king answered, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. And Daniel answered him and said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The second thing that we see in Daniel is this, that he was a man of deep compassion. You see, in the moment of being fearful, he even has the compassion to say to the king, in essence, this is what he's saying to the king, man, I wish this wasn't true about you. Like, I wish this dream wasn't about you. I care too much about you, king, for this, tr- this really to be true about you. He, he was a man of deep compassion. I wonder, church, for us, are we people of God with deep compassion for lost people like that do we go to lost people and say i wish this wasn't true we're so troubled in our heart and our minds for lost people because the reality of a lost person they're dying and going to hell do we have that kind of compassion for people like i don't want to tell you this is in essence what daniel was saying are we saying that to lost people? i don't want to tell you this it grieves my heart even to have to tell you this But you see, Daniel didn't stop with compassion. See, we can't just stop with compassion. Our compassion has to lead us to telling the truth. Because we know the truth, amen, church? We know we have the truth, but we have to have the compassion. Remember what God said about us in Romans 5. While yet we were still sinners, he reconciled us back to himself. You see, God had compassion for us, and yet he told us the truth about ourselves. You see, it's this part as well. Not only do we tell people the truth, we must love because he first loved us. But in having compassion and love for people, we must be convicted to tell people the truth. That's what Paul said in Galatians 6, chapter 1. You who are spiritual should take the message and restore those gently. But you have to tell people the message. And so what troubled Daniel wasn't his compassion, wasn't his love for a king. Remember, this king wanted to kill him. Let's not forget that. Just a few chapters before, he was going to have him and his friends killed. And yet he had compassion on them. And in that moment, that fear came in and he said to himself and before God, man, I love this guy and I'm afraid to tell him the truth, but I'll tell him the truth. And then he goes on and tells him the truth. 
He tells him about the dream. Right? He says to the king, the tree, though, you saw, and this is verse 20, grew up and became strong so that its top reached the heavens and it was visible to the end of the whole earth whose leaves were beautiful and whose fruit was abundant and in which the food for all and under the, which the, the beast of the field found shade. And then in verse 22, does this not sound familiar? It comes out of Samuel where Samuel, or Samuel had gone and he writes this in Samuel that Nathan goes to King David and says, you're the man. That's what he says here in verse 22. It is you, O king. I love you and I care about you and I have compassion for you, but you are the man that this dream is about. Like, this is what God is going to do to you, O king. O king, who had grown up and became strong, your greatness has grown and it reaches the heavens and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots and the earth bound with the band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the field. And then in verse 24, he continues to say this. It is a, this is from the, the Lord Most High, which has come upon you, King, that you shall be driven from among the men and your dwelling should be with the beast of the field and you shall eat the grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven for seven periods of time. So this Passover, until what? Until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. You see, Daniel told him the truth. He told King Nebuchadnezzar the truth. Hey, the truth is, hey, you've become a prideful man, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your pride has set you in a place that you don't believe that God is the one who set you here. And what God is going to do, he is going to humiliate you by making you like the, 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 the animals of the field for seven years. And what he says to him in the very last moment is this. He says, but hey, you have an opportunity, king, to repent. You don't have to go through the humiliation if you simply repent today of your pride. But yet we pick up the story. After Daniel had told him, hey, if you just repent. He says, therefore, in verse 27, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the, the, the oppressed and that there may be perhaps a, a lengthening in your prosperity. He simply says, hey, repent. You see, that, that's the deal with God. God is always bringing us to repentance, either through humbling us or bringing us to humiliation. His desire is that we repent. C.S. Lewis calls it this. He, he calls it the greatest sin is pride. The greatest sin being pride because pride says, I am God and there is no other God before me. That is in essence what pride says. I have all the answers and I need no help. And yet here Daniel says to the king, hey, it's your pride that God is coming after. It's not your wealth he's coming after. It's not your prestige he's coming after. It's not your, it, 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 what you've done to me and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No, what God is doing, he's coming after your pride. 
Pride says this. It's always enmity. Pride always comes between man and man and God and man. See, if I have pride, I think I'm better than everyone in the room. And if I have pride, I think I'm better than God. So if I'm prideful, I'm at enmity with everyone in the room. And I'm also in enmity with God. And yet, what do we see that happens? It says, and all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of the 12 12 months. So a whole year passes that God is gracefully giving King Nebuchadnezzar opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to repent. It's kind of like this. So often in our lives that God shines his, his truth onto us. Like, this is what's happening. Here's Daniel in a year before this event is about to take place. God shines the light onto his pride and says, hey, it's your pride. And he does nothing about it for a year. God doesn't do anything about it, and nor does the king. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of yourself. And you get a picture of yourself, and the the new pictures are not good. The high-definition ones, they show every blemish known to man. And I think to myself, like, man, one of y'all couldn't have told a brother about that right there? Like, y'all couldn't have pointed that out? You know, it's like so, like, uh, to you, but not to me. It's so obvious. And then you get that high-definition picture, and you're like, oh, wait a second. Man, y'all let me have something in my teeth the whole day? Like, no one could have, like, Nobody? But what God is saying to Nebuchadnezzar, hey, look, I'm not going to be foolish enough and I'm not going to allow you to walk around foolish enough without pointing stuff out in your life. And he says to Nebuchadnezzar, hey, it's your pride I'm coming after. And I wonder for us, how often do we go to the source that God's given us more than a high-definition picture or a mirror, or whatever else, to point out those blemishes in our life. It's called God's Word. See, God's Word is faithful to point those things out to you. You don't need me, your pastor, to point them out. You don't need your wife to point them out. You don't need your kids to point them out. You you don't need anyone in the room to point them out. You have God's Word to point out your blemishes in your life. Read God's Word. He will be faithful and true to His Word to point it out. That's what He did with Nebuchadnezzar, do we believe that to be true? Here's the second thing that we see in this passage about this idea that God not only will point it out, but God will always stick to his promises and his word. Always. You see, God came to him a year prior and said, this is what I'm going to do. And then what happens? Look at verse 28. It said, all this came about to Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of the 12 months, as he was walking on the rooftop of his royal palace of Babylon, the king answered and said to himself, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? Like, here's Nebuchadnezzar. He looks out, man, on this landscape and all the temples and all the buildings and one of the seven wonders of the world, the, the hanging gardens. He says, look at all that I've done. You talk about a prideful man. He said, all this that I see, I've done. 
for my majesty. And before those words came out of his mouth, God kept to his promise and to his word. What does it say happened to him? And while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be of the beast of the fields, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and for seven periods or seven years of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives to whom he will until you understand I'm sovereign and in control. This will happen to you. You see, I don't want us to miss the big picture in this story. You see, God, it says this over and over and over again. This story is about the love of God, not the judgment of God. God does judge us. He will bring judgment upon us, but let us not miss the story. The story is about God chastening after King Nebuchadnezzar to bring him to a place of repentance. This is what it tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. And see, here's God's love on King Nebuchadnezzar, not just his judgment. He's chasing after King Nebuchadnezzar, even when King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't want to be chastened after. See, God will always bring us to the end of ourself. You see, in that moment, in that, in that moment of time, all was stripped away from King Nebuchadnezzar. He had it all. And he says, I had it all, and I gave myself all this. And in that moment, he's driven away into a field all by himself with no stuff. No stuff. But some some feed to, to feed on, some grass to lay, and then some dew to make him wet. Does it not sound like the story from Luke 15? Remember Luke 15 is the prodigal son. The prodigal son goes to his dad and says, hey, give me all that you have. Give it to me now. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine. And then he goes and squanders all that he has. And yet there's this small verse in the middle of that passage that says this, that when he's feeding with the pigs, it says this, he came to his senses. He came to himself. So often the way God brings us to ourselves is to strip us from everything that we have. See, in that moment, he's stripped away. King Nebuchadnezzar's stripped away. He's in a field by himself, and he's a madman. He is in, in insanity. He thinks he's an ox. All so that God could show him that he was sovereign and ruler of all things. It says immediately the word was fulfilled against King Nebuchadnezzar and he was driven from among the men to eat the grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird claws. And then it says this, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, highlight, underline this, circle it in your Bible, lifted my eyes, where? To heaven. He didn't look around. He didn't look at himself. He didn't see what he didn't have. He didn't look down upon himself. But he simply said, I looked in heaven where it all comes from. He came to himself because God had stripped him of everything. And when he stripped him of everything, he had only one place to turn. 
And this is what God was doing to Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe this is what God is doing to you. Maybe he's stripping you of everything that you come to the end of yourself and the only place you have to turn is to God and God alone. And it says this, and I turn my eyes. And as soon as I turn my eyes to heaven, what does it say? My reason returned to me. In that moment of repentance, that's what it is. In that moment of repentance, his reasoning came to him the same way that the senses of the boy came to him. The same way the boy, when he finally came to the end of himself, his mind and heart came back to him. He turned from his ways and ran back to home to be with his dad. The same way King Nebuchadnezzar did in this passage. And it says this. And here's how we know that it's true repentance. Here's how you know if you have true repentance if god is leading you to repentance if you've made true repentance this morning these things will be true about every single one of us if it's true repentance what does it say my reason returned and what did i do i blessed the holy lord see in our true repentance we won't be woeful about ourselves we'll be praising god the next word is this we bless the lord we praise the lord and we honor the lord that is what true repentance looks like And so for us this morning, church, have we been brought to our knees? And has God stripped us of everything of our lives? And in doing so, we turn to Him and we say, I will bless the Lord. I will praise the Lord. And I will give God all the honor and all the glory. It's in that moment, the way that He fulfilled it came to fulfillment of the promise of the dream. Hey, Nebuchadnezzar, when you come to a place of recognizing that God is king and sovereign over all things, you will be restored. And what does it say? He said, I bless the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Remember the words He had just spoken seven years prior. This is all mine. This is all my dominion. Look what I've done for myself. But true repentance says, no, none of this is mine. It all belongs to God. It's His. His dominion. His kingdom. The inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. He does according to what? His will. It's all about God. The sovereignty of God. King Nebuchadnezzar says. And none can stay in His hand or say to Him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. At the same time that this returned to me, the glory of my kingdom, my majesty, and my splendor returned to me. At the same moment that Nebuchadnezzar returns and repents, all that God had promised comes back to him. You see, God had been saving all of his kingdom for him. He told him that in a dream. Hey, if you come to repentance, I'm going to keep your kingdom. That's what it says, the iron and the bronze gate around that stump. I'm going to protect. I'm going to keep and give it back to you if you come to repentance. And in coming to repentance, he gives it all back to him. He says, I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. But here's the deal with True repentance. It says this in the last verse, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heavens for all his works are right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he will humble. 
And so for us, church, and we can get caught up and we can have the name it, claim it. That's not what this verse is talking about at all. What this is saying to us, hey, God restored everything back to him. And in his repentance, he didn't go back to himself and said, look at all that I have given to myself. He said, no, no, I will praise and extol the God who's sovereign over all things. He's the one that restored all of this for me. I didn't do it. Is that true for us? You see, again, church, it's going to come down to two things. God is calling all of us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We have that opportunity today. If there's sin in your life, you have the opportunity today to get it right with God, to humble yourselves in repentance to Him, to come to Him and say to Him, man, God, I have sinned and sinned against you alone. Or would be the flip side of the coin that there's sin in your life and you aren't confessing it and you aren't humbling yourself under the mighty hand of god and god is saying i will discipline those i live and through that god will bring you to a place of humiliation and i promise this church as a man that's been through humiliation because of sin you do not want that i promise that you do not want that you, you know the the there's that story that, hey, you don't want your sins broadcast from the, 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 the front of the church. Mine were in front of 3,000 people. My sin of being prideful and, and, and having lust was broadcast in front of 3,000 people, most I did not know. But God had given me chance after chance after chance to humble myself under his mighty hand and say, oh, God, help me, help me, help me. But my pride would not allow it. And many of us in the room, we'd say, well, that would never happen. No, God is so clear in Luke 12, 1 and 2. What we do in the secret places, God will broadcast from the mountaintops, if he has to, to humble us. You see, it's not because he wants to discipline us. It's not that he wants to shame us. It's not that he wants to belittle us. It's not that he wants to make light of anything that we've done. No, all that God does in humiliating us and bringing us to humiliation is because he loves us dearly. And what God did for me on that day, it was the worst day of my entire life. But I look back on it, it is the greatest day of my life. Because now I live what Paul says in Galatians 5. I now live with freedom. You see, that's what God offers all of us. Through humbling us or humiliation is the gift of freedom. We can live free lives with Christ Jesus. And I wonder, church, for us this morning. Will it be a place that we humble ourselves this morning? Like, is God speaking directly to your heart and saying to you this morning, hey, go and make it right. Go and confess. The altar is open. Make it right before me and before others. Is God saying to you that there's someone in the room you've got to make it right with? And that you wouldn't leave here not making it right with someone in the room today? Because if not, God's truth and God's promise is this. He will bring you to humiliation. It may not be this afternoon. It might not be a week from now. It might not be six months from now. It, it was a year from the moment that he had the dream that the fulfillment of God's promises came true because God loved him. You see, the whole deal about this was that God 
wanted Nebuchadnezzar in his kingdom and not in his own kingdom. And he brought King Nebuchadnezzar to a place of true repentance because he loved him and he sought him out. That is true for every one of us in the room this morning. God disciplines those he loves. Let us pray. God, your word is true in Luke chapter 18. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. God, I pray for us as a church. I pray for us as individuals of this church. I pray for us as the believer in here. God, that there's things in our lives that are prideful, that are arrogant, that are sinful, that today would be the day, God, that we come humbly before your mighty hand and we confess those. And in confessing those, God, we enter into true repentance, turning and going the opposite direction from the things that we have come from. And God, that we would, as believers, live free lives in you. But God, I pray for the man or the woman in here that this morning that has no idea who you are as Savior, as King, as Lord. That you, through your Holy Spirit, be working in them to say to them, hey, I desire to be in relationship with you. And that conviction is coming upon them in this moment, God, that God, the only way for us to be in relationship with you is through repentance. And so, God, if there's someone in here that doesn't know you this morning, they confess that sin, to be in relationship with an almighty God. God, I I pray for the individual here this morning who may say to themselves, oh, my past is too big. My past is too wicked. My past is too sinful. And I pray in this moment that you would say to them, oh, no. I love you in spite of you. I love you in spite of your sin. And there's no sin that's too big for the cross. Calvary covered it all. God, I pray for us as a church that we would live lives that would honor you. That we would live lives that would bless your holy name and that we would live lives, God, that would praise your holy name. God, it's impossible for us for, to bless you. It's impossible for us to praise you, and it's impossible for us to honor you if there's sin in our life that's unconfessed. I pray today, this morning, it would be that time that we get it right with you. In the same way, I pray that we would say the same words that King Nebuchadnezzar said. For his dominion is everlasting. His kingdom endures forever. It's all because of your will, Lord Jesus. God, it's so true. You will humble those who walk in pride. Lead us to live lives of freedom, lives of righteousness, lives of holiness. Pray this in Christ's mighty name.